Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri country in the Kulin Nation in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Beck Horridge. The show was made in Newcastle, Mulebimba, on the Awabakal Nation. Today on Earth Matters, we'll hear the second half of the First Nations panel from the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port, where the questions are asked, how can the climate and environment movement best show solidarity with First Nations people? And what does First Nations justice have to do with climate justice? Here's co-producer Jacob Gamble's introduction to the panel. New special coverage of the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port, a three-day event featuring music, art, discussions and an action of mass civil disobedience. Here's a First Nations yarning panel featuring a Awabakal elder, Auntie Tracy, Ngemba elder, Auntie Caroline, Bunjalung and Waramai saltwater woman, Phoebe McElwraith, and Ngemba Wangan and Jungalingu Protector of Country, Wilka Kirakuta. The conversation was moderated by Wadi Wadi Man of the UN Nation, Matthew Jeffrey. This radio show doesn't include the whole panel, but it will be available on transcript soon. Today we're going to hear the yarn of Auntie Carol Kirk. Here she introduces herself and then talks to the question, what does First Nations justice have to do with climate justice? Well, good afternoon, everybody, and Yalu, and I give recognition to the birth people from here, and I'd like to thank them for inviting me to come down and talk. I'm a Nimba woman. I come from, my grandfather was born on Gundabooka Mountain in between Burke and Cobar, and then my grandmother, she was born at Brabwarana at the fish traps. My life is involved around standing for water, standing for trees and standing for animals. Now, talking about our farmlands and I love my trees, hey, you know. You all should love our trees. Why? Because what makes us breathe, okay? What about our little fella that's hanging up in the tree, our little koala, you know? In Queensland at the moment, they've got one place up there that they are actually, don't care what's in a tree, they'll just go and take that tree down. Now that's going all over the place. In Newry, over at um, Coffs Harbour, Yurunga, this is where they got the koala, that was supposed to be the koala habitat, eh? National Park, bruh. Well, what about the National Park? What's left there in the National Park? When they get the trees, what do they do? They get the big tractor in there and knock all the trees down. Don't care what's up there. Don't care if it flaps or if it climbs down, right? They drop them trees on the ground. Then they'll bring the big machine in that strips that tree from its bark. Right? They throw that on the ground. Not all the trees are picked up 
and put on the trucks, okay? Half of those trees ain't even used, right? What are they doing? Oh, that tree's got a little hole in it, so we're not going to take that. But you know what? That tree could have been a home for something, okay? What do they do about the other trees that they don't take? Does Forest Corp, who we should be holding in count, right, does Forest Corp worry about, oh, we've just cleared all this, Um, I think we might clean it up. No, they don't. They just get up and move to the next direction, okay? I've seen it. Now, how about them bushfires in 2018? In 2019 and 20, I was coming across from Perth, okay? I left Perth to come home. No, Scarmole was over there on his own with his little family, you know? I was cruising in with my Ford Fairlane, me and my husband, my little girl, my dog. My son was in his little car with his woman and kid, you know? We was coming back home to do some business. And you know what? I can't go back to Perth because of this simple fact at the moment that they need to stop taking our trees. Honestly, we need people. My son is the only Aboriginal at the moment that is climbing trees. My son will lock on. I promised a sister down the front here that we were going to lock on together. And Sister Girl, I think we just might have to. (laughs) But, you know, last year, I'll tell you the yarn. Last year, I was with Blockade Australia down at Como. Anyway, what happened? Oh, little old auntie was sitting there at the fire. I was talking real deadly and telling them all yarns, you know. Anyway, Sunday morning come. I only got there Friday night. So I slept Friday night and Saturday night in my tech caravan that these young fellas had set up for me. (laughs) Didn't last long. (laughs) On the Sunday morning, man, they was there. The coppers were there. They had us. <laughs> well, some run up the bush. <laughs> I was asleep. Me and my little girl, she was only 12 at the time. We were sound asleep in the caravan. And what happened? There was two gungies sitting there, laying there like big logs. And they had the what, what, what was it? Chemo. Chemo. Uh, no, no, no. The ghillie suit. There was two coppers, a male and a female. Now, the male, he was seven and a half foot. <laughs> How big am I? I'm only five foot, mate. Anyway, you know what, he done, what they done? They knocked about five people over trying to get, because these two coppers, the woman, uh, they, we, 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 I was asleep and these little fellas were just having their cuppers and they spotted them up in the hill, see? Anyway, next minute they, oh, look up there. So they went up there to see who they was. 
Honestly, we didn't know who they were. I actually thought that they were the Ku Klux Klan, right? And they was. <laughs> they was, true honest. What they done was they went down to the car. Anyway, our little mate was standing at the front and he said, you can't go there. Yes, we're police. We've heard that we need to get in here because some intruders. Hmm, intruders, who was it, intruders? <laughs> they the gilly fellas, <laughs> you know. Anyway, next minute, as they were coming down, yeah, they had a bit of a punch up and push and a shove, but the coppers got in the car and, well, oh mate put the foot down. Well, when he put the foot down, he didn't give who to what, who was in front of him. He just knocked them from side to side. One girl was sitting, hanging on real neat, you know, to the wipers. And he going like this, you know. Anyway, all I heard was bang. So I'm like this, me and Aliana, my little girl, jumped up like that and I'm looking. Next minute, I run out of the caravan. I, hey, you fellas, right? And all I could see was a blue car standing in front of the tent. And that tent was our media. That's him. I thought he hit the media tent. So I gets up and I, hey, and I yelled out to a couple of them, you know, and I said, you's right. Yeah, right, we're right. Well, brother, I walks down there and I'm in my jammers, you know, and I, hey, do you think you's, you know. Anyway, what'd they do? They never took me that day. And I heard that couple looking and pointing and saying, that old bitch there, look, the old grey-headed she, she was the one, and it was me, right? So the coppers come in, not that day. They raided us. They kicked us off the property and told us all to go. Whatever was left, what did they do? They broke every bloody thing, right? They smashed the cars. They, 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 there was an old antique violin there, a hand-me-down. Now, these bastards smashed it. You know, there's people's things were there. There was laptops, there was phones, there was all different things. And the cops took them. And they took little Caroline too. Because <laughs> I was sitting up the next day, uh, the next week. I went in town for a week and I come back out. Then I'm sitting at the fire early in the morning. And I never even got a cup or I was still waiting for my cup to come, you know. Next minute, all I could see was these fellas coming over the hill. And I was trying to whistle and I was trying to scream and I couldn't. To be honest, I couldn't stop, yell or nothing. Anyway, next minute, May walked up and he said, who are you, you Caroline Demery, Caroline Kirk? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you're under arrest. <laughs> and I said, what for? I'm sitting here at a fire. You know what they done to me? For 13 months, they made me under the bikey law. I was not allowed to be associated with 40 people. I was not allowed to leave town. I was to report every day until I got that removed. I wasn't allowed to leave town, man. They'd be straight there, bang. As soon as there was another protest uh, protection in, 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 in Sydney, They'd be around there knocking on my door. What are you doing? Aren't you going down there? I know why you're going to take me (laughs) because I wasn't allowed.
Auntie Carol Kirk speaking at the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port in Newcastle, November 2023. You're listening to Earth Matters, broadcast nationally across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. And now let's hear more from the First Nations panel at the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port. I guess going forward, you know, across this weekend and beyond, how can the climate and environment movement better show and best show its solidarity uh, with us First Nations people? Oh, hey. So you put me on spot. Oh, yeah, give me. Uh... Here's Phoebe McElrath. So something that can really be done so much better is absolutely revisiting the way that you relate to institutions and frameworks of power in your life. You know, something like, you know, Anne, a thought that triggered from you telling your story is those orders they put on you, you can't leave town, you have to report to the station. Does that not sound like a mission? You can't leave the mission. You have to talk to the mission manager. You can't associate with blacks that are off the mission. You know, it's, it's about power and control and surveillance. And so while you may technically not be on the mission, the framework of mission manager has pervaded into so many other frameworks and institutions in our lives. So many parts of our society operate under a mission manager model. The belief that non-Indigenous people know what's best for us, they know what success looks like, and they control the flow of resources and decision-making power to us. That happens in philanthropy, it happens in education, definitely happens in policing. They know what safety looks like for us, even though they're the ones making us unsafe. So when you leave here, what I want you to do to become better community members is I want you to interrogate the frameworks of thinking in every single institution in your life. And that sounds like a lot. Blackfellas have to do it all the time. We have to go into every single space and and see instantly, are we safe? Are we unsafe? If the ground changes, what do we do? We minorities have to do this all the time. It may be exhausting for you, bub, join the club. Join the club. And it's a lifelong practice. Yeah, you have to be in this for life. So, yeah, think critically, Teehee. Thanks, babes. Thanks, babes. I reckon you could go ahead. So I just want to go back one step and then I'll come back forward because that's what we do as blackfellas. We take one step forward and have to go two back all the time. So just on the issue of... How does it relate to climate justice? Right. Okay. That question we missed. Um, I've just come back from Sulawesi. I spent a few weeks over there for environmental and sustainability issues. And we ask why is climate change so important with the water rising and the ocean rising, it's creating, and the shift, it's creating more tsunamis and things like that. Yes, small islands will go underwater, but do you know what happens to the land when that happens? Because I've just come back and I've seen it, and it's freaking scary. I saw land that liquefied, and what that means is solid ground, like what we're standing on now, because of salt water from the sea inhabiting over that land, it becomes similar to quicksand. I saw big mosques that sank into the ground that were on solid ground prior to the tsunami from 2018. I saw land 
contaminated that you cannot grow vegetables on. All that can grow on that land is oil palm, so cocoa beans. Some land that's been semi-fixed can grow rice fields and corn. It grows nothing else. I went to the Department of Fisheries over there. Prior to the tsunami, they had 1,072 commercial fishermen. They now have 16. There's not enough fish left in the ocean there to maintain a living out of or to feed the population. Palu, the capital of Sulawesi, has over 3 million people in there. And the bulk of their diet is rice and corn. There's such an issue in Palu that they cannot find a solution for all the corn cobs that are being eaten because they don't buy, they don't break down in the soil in compost like other food scraps. So what you can do is make sure that we pick up because I'll tell you something else. The oceans carry our totems as well. Our totems dictate our way of life. They give us our law, L-O-R-E. They give us our kinships and everything else. But they're also vital to the ecosystem in the ocean, on the shore, on the beds, on the river, on the River Murray-Dowling. There's a whole ecosystem that gets destroyed from this. And I've seen just last month what happens to Langend, that sea, ocean, salt water, whatever you want to call it, destroys. And it's not a pretty sight. And we, to survive, need to be able to have food supply for our animals, everything. So, you know, it's very, very important. It's, that's the justice that needs to come together. Um, what can you do to be a good ally for First Nations peoples? Pick up your damn mobile phones. If you see a copper walking towards a black fella, put it on video and record. You don't have to say anything. You just stand there in a public place and record. It's not illegal. If you see that copper trip that 17-year-old Aboriginal boy up and go headfirst into the concrete, you go, oi, that's not on, and I just saw that on video. I've got it on video. I'm sending it out to every media outlet in this country. If you see police grab an Aboriginal woman, you start recording. Because in 2016, an Aboriginal woman here by the name of Rebecca Ma was died in police custody because they took her and locked her up instead of taking her to a hospital. She's, she's not the only one. Her mother still lives here, you know. Just, and just be a good neighbour. Because together we can be good neighbours for one another. Remember the old neighbourhood? Well, maybe some of you won't. You aren't that old. But there was a program back in the 80s called Neighbourhood Watch. And your neighbours all looked out for you, you know. And if something was wrong, they intervened. And that's what we as a community need to get back to doing, being a good neighbour and watching. With myself and my family, I've seen pictures. I wasn't old enough when I wasn't born. I was still swinging there somewhere. I've seen pictures of how big the Murray-Darling River was. Now, it used to have two boats, one coming up one side and one going down the other side. Right? Now, 
how did the colonial fellows take their horses, their cattle, their sheep, their dogs, you know, their families, their furniture? How did they get it up the river? On them steamboats, okay? Now, I come home in 2018 and what happened? I went to all Kenya and there was no water. It was just sand. People were going there learning how to drive. I never ever seen it that in my life. I'm 61 years of age. I never seen the Murray Darling dry and only have sand, you know? I went back in 2020 and we had the Wilcannia Bridge Blockade. At that time, there would have been oh, water about as deep as that in the river. You could walk across it, right? Our kids out in the bush, they live by that river, they swim by that river and they drink out of that river and they eat from it, okay? What happens when all that water goes? What happens if all the chemicals from the farms come into that river? If you've got cotton, honestly, you can't touch that. You can't put nothing in that ground for another 20 years until all the chemicals gone. I'm from, I'm, my grandmother was from, from Brewarana for the fish traps. Now, we had over 150 fish traps, okay? They were made out of stones in the water so that when the water come up, the fish swam in them little... And then when the water went down, there were still fish there. So my grandparents and my great-great-grandparents, they used to go to that water and they'd get all them little fish. There was over 100... 200 families that was living around Brewarana. What did they eat? They got that fish, you know, because our families went and grabbed all the fish and they separated it out to everybody to make sure everybody had a feed. Then colonialism come in. So what do they do? There's people that are up there in Brewarana that aren't from that land, Okay. Their ancestors ain't from that land. They were taken in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And still today, our kids are being taken from the families. Okay? But what I'm trying to say is our families, okay, we have to know where our bloodline falls, right? Because I've had... I've had two kids in Western Australia and my boy said, Mum, what am I? Who am I? Where do I come from? And I said, well, you're a Nimba person. I said, you are a Wanganjangaloo person. I said, you are a Kamilaroi person. I said, but you're born on Noongar land. Your bloodline falls here but at Shanghai straight back to New South Wales and to Queensland. A lot of people don't understand that, sis. You know, 
And a lot of families that are in the towns where they live, they think that they're from that town and they make the wrong decisions. In Brewarrina, they made a circle, a yarning circle down at the river. They never went and got the rocks from Gundabooka Mountain or from around Brewarrina, Coba. No, you know where they went and got the rocks? Up in Queensland. They went and bought all these bloody rocks and brought them down to another country. They took it off their country and brought it down to ours. Now, them yarning circles are no good. You can't go and talk in there, you know. And why are the floods happening? Because wrongs are doing wrongs. It all needs to be pushed up and fixed up, you know. But never mind. We all stand together and be one because this is the only way we, all of us, are going to survive. If we don't stand as one, you'll have two and three and four that will stand there and argue, you know, and, and it's not, it's not going to help the situation. But if we can all put our hands together and swing and skip and do whatever, you know, we'd be a bloody good world and get the peace back into us, you know, and the love, the love needs to come back. Thank you, Auntie Carol. Auntie Carol Kirk, speaking at the People's Blockade of the world's largest coal port. Auntie Carol Kirk is part of the Kirk mob, and you can see a link to their fundraiser on the 3CR webpage, as well as a link to Rising Tide's website. Check it out. They were the organisers of the blockade, and they'll be the organisers for the next blockade, November 20th to 29, for 10 days, 10,000 people in November 2024. Thank you. Rising Tide organisers. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environment Justice Program. I'm Beck Horridge. If you've missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave us a review and help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for one more Earth Matters.